0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. This week, I have Kelly and Miranda from ZinniMe on, and we're gonna be chatting about therapist burnout, both for the employer, us, and our employees. And it's a very timely and relevant topic right now. Hi, you guys. How are you? Good. Thanks for having us.
1: We're really excited to be here and very, very excited to be talking about burnout. It's always been a part of our profession, but you add on the stressors and that are happening right now in a global pandemic and just more demand than we've seen in our lifetime for mental health care. And it just really exacerbates what were already issues.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing so much of it being discussed in my you know, circle of group practice owners, not only from the perspective of the group practice owners, but even more so with wanting to know how they can better support their employees are facing a high amount of burnout because of, like you said, this such a higher need and just not enough therapists out there to support the need and therapists really going through a lot of the things that the clients that they're working with are going through. And so it's this constant dialogue with group practice owners around, you know, what other new thing can I do to support or help reduce burnout? And I feel like it's an issue that group practice owners haven't yet seemed to be able to figure out how to like snap away.
1: Yeah. Cause I think it's not like a new magical thing. It's not an app to download. It's not a mantra. It's not a team building exercise. I think it goes back to the core of what really should have been a part of like the initial interview where you talked with someone and you said, Hey, what does like life and working in in my practice sound like what would really work for you? What does your hourly schedule look like? And really getting clarity of like, are we aligned? Mm -hmm. Right. And then as they started onboarding, usually with people that are burned out, you see somehow if you were to think back to when you first met them, you look and you go, oh, wait, this person said they wanted to work this many hours. They're working 30 or 50 or 100% more than that. This person said they didn't want to work before this time or after this time, and now their schedule's all over the place. This person said that these were the type of clients that they really wanted to work with that really inspired them, but that doesn't seem to be the bulk of their caseload and or that doesn't seem to be inspiring them anymore. And so I think like at the very least, at the very minimal place to reconnect with your employee and I think this also applies to the employer as well but to like reconnect and say hey a lot of things have changed over the last three years what would an ideal day look like what would an ideal job look like to you like what would an ideal caseload look like to you let's get back to let's put all this other bs aside and like, let's reconnect. And maybe it's exactly what they said when they came in for their initial interview. And maybe it's different, you know, with kids at home, or all these things have changed. But like, let's figure that out and just start aligning with some of the day to day.
0: You make a really good point. And I feel like something that practice owners aren't looking at, or at least for group practices, they're coming up with like, I'll give them one mental health day. It's like, oh, that's not going to fix it. You know, I will like host uh, an outing and it's like an outing, that's not going to help either. Or like, you know, one literal thing. And as if that will wash away the burnout.
2: No one's acknowledging that our capacity has changed. The capacity of the owner, the capacity of the employee. And then I have heard, it come up of like the demand so high, I need to take it while I can. And okay, maybe for the first month or two of the pandemic, but because of the long haul of what's going on in our world, that's not sustainable. And as group practice owners, it's important that You set the framework and the culture for how people approach their work and what is acceptable, what is a norm. And if we come at it from a like, I don't want to say cash grab, but sort of this like, hey, we've got to do it or that I'm motivated by guilt because no one else will see these people. So I have to. That is not good for clinical outcomes. Yes, it may line your pocket bank in the short term, but it's going to come at at the expense of people's health. And well being, and that's not worth it. So, does that mean caseload sizes need to go down? Schedules need to be shifted. Fees need to go up to accommodate all of those shifts so you don't feel it so much. Then that's what you've got to look at. But people think like stuffing the sausage is like, The case can only hold so much. Like I don't need another yoga class to attend. Think about ourselves. I'm more easily overstimulated in public places because I'm not used to being in them as much. Traveling, though, while I do it, it used to be energizing is now more depleting because of all the stuff. Like everything takes more. So asking for more is not the answer, but instead recalibrating.
0: I think that's such a good point. And one of the dilemmas that some group practice owners are facing and it's something you know i myself have been thinking about too especially for those who have salaried employees is how to balance reduction of caseload when salaries are sort of based on that expectation maybe pre-pandemic and the likelihood of those employees not wanting a reduction in salary to accommodate maybe this new need to see less clients. And uh, I think that's something that a lot of practice owners who are in that, because it's much easier to do that if you are paying someone hourly or and mm-hmm. or whatnot, than it is for salaried. And I think that's where the point I think, Miranda, you brought up of even offering flexibility in how they do their work, their timeframes, working from home, being maybe less rigid about, you know, when and how they're doing their work. And where they're doing their work, and who they're doing their work with, can all be great ways to help reduce that that burnout. And then also maybe letting go of some of these non-client-facing things that you know, like staff meetings and and things like that, that are keeping people on you know Zoom for one to two hours every
1: single week. But I think you bring up a really important point, which is, and Kelly kind of touched on it, is what is the financial piece and picture? And so when we have these salaried employees, and again, it could be for your employees that it's more, maybe they're working even more than what their productivity requires, right? Even just saying, no, it's not okay for you to do more than your productivity. Because when you have a salaried employee, sort of like, oh, this is great. They're so productive. Let me praise it. Mm -hmm. When I worked for a nonprofit, I remember one of my supervisors saying, we will absolutely respect your boundaries and your need for self-care and life balance, but we will reward your lack thereof. As a group practice owner, are you rewarding behaviors that actually impact burnout and that then that person leaves, they decide they're going to go off on practice of their own, they're going to go to some other place, they're going to leave. And then you're going to be in this place of like, oh, so frustrating. Everybody leaves, I don't understand. They were my top performer. And in some cases, there's some other icky stuff with group practice owners of like, oh, my God, like, I filled up their practice, and they just took everything away. And but again, it comes back to that person going like, oh, my gosh, this isn't sustainable. How do I make an adjustment? And then they do their own math and pull away. But going back to the math of for the group practice owner, sometimes we have to say no to insurance contracts that they're, I mean, we're seeing some of them dropping rates right now during the pandemic as they're profiting way up in 2021. It's not like they're struggling financially. So maybe we need to do that. Maybe we have a higher percentage of private pay clients. And again, maybe we do have private pay, maybe we do up the overall fee, just to make sure that people are really well taken care of. I think sometimes if it was the issue of your rents went up, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If, if the rent just went up in your space, and that was the only way you would adjust your business plan for that rent, if the cost of taking good care of your employees in the midst of a global pandemic, whether that's benefits or lowering their hours. And it may not be as much or as drastic as you think. Mm. If that's what it costs, then we have to do the
0: math and we need to create something that's sustainable. Yeah. That goes to the point of also as a group practice, diversifying how you have income coming in, in your group practice. And one of the things that I personally look at, so we recently implemented unlimited time off policy for all of our salaried folks as a way to sort of encourage time off because they're salaried they'll get paid no matter how much time off they take and it's been really nice to see people not feel stressed you know if you're hourly or commission you obviously need to save that money yourself so that when you take off you can have enough money to pay your bills during that time off and Making that shift to salary for me was a way to help my employees be able to safely be able to take off and not have to worry that income isn't going to come in for them. And then implementing this unlimited time off and really being like, if you want to take four months off out of the year, you can do it, you know, without and it totally encouraged them to take more time off. Cause what I noticed before when they were commissioned in Illinois, in California, that's not allowed, but Illinois, it was, I saw people taking two weeks off out of the year because they either didn't have the strategies to be able to save throughout the year or weren't able to, for whatever reason, simple things like that, uh, shifting to a salary model, which I get is much higher risk for a group practice owner, but it's been really nice and has given staff the ability to take as much time off as they need while still having you know some yearly metric to ensure that they're actually bringing in at least enough income to cover that yeah it's beautiful i love it yeah yeah shifting over to the practice owners because i think there's a little bit of a different sort of burnout cuz a lot of practice owners aren't seeing clients anymore group practice owners a lot of them aren't it's like a different sort of burnout cuz it's not the I am working with the type of clients who are going through similar type of things as me, but there's just the burnout of businesses needing to pivot different types of decisions that are needing to be made amount of demand versus the amount of hires that are available to meet that demand and all of that fun stuff. I feel like there's, it's a different sort of pressure that business owners are facing Mm -hmm. to like keep up and feel like they're able to recruit the right type of therapists, you know, especially in this market. And there's a lot of burnout and people pleasing and
2: happening. Yeah. It's an interesting thing, right? When we talk about growth, when is it enough? Yes, something I think we all have to talk about as business owners. I always tell my group practice owners, you're always hiring. I mean, you really are in that always that mindset of hiring. But in terms of, Growth and projections and wanting to repeat last year's revenue and all that, that all comes from you. So you get to decide what you're going to recalibrate internally within yourself. That is it okay if it was just to hold and have a repeat of a year? Do you have to grow it as fast? Are there things that are now... What you could do easily before would be better to be outsourced and that you need more support on your team. Because I do see some of more group practice owners bringing in more clinical supervisors because there is still that clinical piece that can come up that the group practice owner gets involved in that now they're saying, hey, if I had somebody with a caseload that was providing the clinical supervision, I could alleviate myself of that. But I think there is this interesting question that people don't spend enough time thinking about of. What is my enough point? And we can always do more, and our expenses will always expand to the amount (laughs) that we make. You know, like I've lived that. I've lived on very small salary in my past, you know, and so my expenses fit into that. And as things grow, Mm -hmm. so what is really important to you, you know, of the growth at what cost to yourself, and how do you mitigate that cost with support? outsourcing, those kinds of things. But do we have to grow as fast as we're putting pressure on ourselves to do so? Yeah, I think that's a good point.
0: And I think that's the million dollar question for group practice owners, especially now, for a variety of reasons, one being the supply issue or the demand issue. And secondly, you know, with all these Facebook groups and ways to connect with other people that are doing similar things as you, what you see is There's always people doing more or (laughs) bigger or faster, you know?
2: Faster, but then the behind the scenes is crumbling. I think it really is this interesting, like you're saying, that million dollar question of, yeah, what is the meaning of it all to you and the growth and what kind of value do you put on it defining you or whatever? I think we need to, there's some ego work of detaching some more there too that needs to be done. For micro practice owners, you
1: know, the first thing is like, Oh, my gosh, if I could make this kind of profit without a caseload, that would be amazing. Okay, if I could have this many hours, but at a certain point, it starts to get kind of that ego driven. Oh, what if we had a seven figure year? Or what if it was again, fill in the blank, whatever this is, but I think always coming back to and it's okay to dream big. It's okay. Sometimes we need those stretch goals just to get out of our own way, because we are definitely taught to think very small as clinicians. And I think that's a beautiful piece, but also like, what do I want my life to look like? Not just, I want a seven figure business, but I want a seven figure business where I, as the business owner, could take unlimited time off, that I could take four months off per year and it would be okay. I want to create a business that's sustainable, that at some point I could sell it to another amazing person who would want to run the day-to-day or that I could have things so outsourced that i could take care of my mother with cancer and i wouldn't have to go into the office and yeah maybe my profits would go down but like i would still have a sustainable income you know like to create something that really can live past us that if we at any age drop dead tomorrow that we had a sustainable business that could still provide income for our family and for our legacy right like i have a child I would like there to be a business that still did something after that, right, in addition to being prepared. So I think there's some other pieces. It's the, what is that stretch goal? What is that vision? But we just cannot forget that quality of life piece. And I think this is the part that has really been stirred up for a lot of people in the pandemic is that when we are in times of stress, It brings up our old coping strategies. It brings up our old trauma profiles. It brings up how our families deal with traumas, all of these things. So I went from, oh my gosh, I'm a super balanced out doing acro yoga, doing yoga a couple of days during my lunch break, everything's in flow kind of person to working 65 hours a week overnight when the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And I didn't notice it right? I didn't even notice it. Like when I sat back and was like, Oh, wait, I got on the computer at this. And I've been there from this time to this time for this many days and work on the Saturday and the Sunday, like, Oh my gosh, but that is the old Miranda. Right. And I think for a lot of group practice owners, they haven't stopped and paused and said, wait, is this me and my grounded, safe, whole healed place? Or have I been kind of in a space that is part of old stuff? It's another layer for me to work on.
0: I also find that in many ways, when we slow down or step back, our businesses seem to thrive more in a lot of ways. Yes. Stop messing with it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Like,
0: I wonder how many of us are breaking our backs over the business right now when Taking that break could actually allow it to flourish in a way that we weren't expecting. And even if not, even if it just stayed steady, yeah, stays steady, you still are able to have that time to really go back inward and not be all in the business. And everyone who's done it, everyone who's like delegated a thing where they, you know, the faulty thinking, if I'm doing it, then I'm not paying someone else, even though your time is worth money sort of thing. Like every time someone has said, I finally hired a person to answer the phones," or I finally hired a billing company, so I don't have to do it anymore. They've all said, it's very rare. I can't even think of a time. I'm sure it's happened, but it's so rare that group practice owners say within like a month or two, they're like, it's already paying for itself. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. And so similarly with the self-care and really being able to potentially take a chunk of time off or really like cut your hours down so that you're not, you know, bending over backwards constantly and using all of your hours to do business stuff, it's very likely that things are not gonna dramatically change.
2: We have a lot of group practice owners that are now taking sabbaticals, mm-hmm. long, intentional time off. We're not talking about just vacation, we're talking about growth oriented time away. And the business has to run without them. And it's a really great testament to the groundwork they put in. And I think sometimes we don't ever give our business a chance to breathe mm-hmm. and realize that foundation is there. I had a question for you, Marie, about this whole supply issue, because I'm hearing it too. You know, there's no good candidates, yeah. all this kind of stuff. But you know what? I, I kind of have a prediction, and I'm curious what you think, mm. that a lot of people have jumped into the private practice game but they've never really wanted to be private practice owners yeah. and that there are and that things are starting to shift this year. I've already started seeing it that it's not just an automatic, the phone will ring that now if you haven't had marketing it in place, it's starting to show a little bit. Eventually some of those people are going to come back to, I just want to work in a practice. Yeah. I think there's an evolution in a cycle having been consulting for this long that yeah, there is a supply issue and then a demand and then it kind of comes back around. I
0: completely agree. I think one thing that COVID has done is made it easier for people to just start their own thing remotely without having really any expenses at all. And I think it was a great thing because it allowed people to get out of harmful workplaces and really be able to stay at home with their kids if they needed to, not go back into an office if that office was going in too soon. But I agree with you that there are a portion of those people that are meant to have their own business and it just like jump started that. But there's also a portion of people who we're able to go solo remotely without much effort and will realize the business struggles mm-hmm. of really growing a business as the clients potentially want to start going back in office and they'll have to decide if they wanna, you know, market a remote or a telehealth business or get a brick and mortar and the costs related to that and all the market. Yeah. And and I do think that there's gonna be a portion of people that maybe was either a temporary thing that they were going to do until like, it just didn't work for them or a group of people who thought it was much easier than it really is to have your own business and who would shift back in.
2: I think that that's part of the whole burnout aspect is you have to play a long game. Yeah. And so holding that in mind that there's economics at play here and that it's not like, yes, there's a supply issue right now that is going to shift again and it will. And it's having that business foundation that, hey, it's not always about doubling your growth every year. Sometimes it's about sustaining. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, it's going to shift again. It will change again. And so the longer you've been in business, the more you get adapted adapt to just the wave of it all instead of being freaked out at another wave's coming. I think that just comes with time. And that burnout, I think, is rooted in some of that capitalistic kind of hustle culture of like, oh, grow, grow, grow. And yep. so seeing the bigger picture of like, hey, this is going to shift again. And that might have the foundation for that adaptability. Sorry, Miranda.
1: No, it's okay. I was thinking of this uh, client in particular, and they had done all their numbers. They knew where that was of what they could pay people, what they needed to charge, all the different pieces. And then they literally had people that were doing contract positions, some numbers that didn't quite match up that were calling and like grabbing people, like kind of headhunting, you know, calling the office or you. Mm-hmm. And they ended up for various reasons, people left there, were people that were crying in the office saying, oh my gosh, it's an amazing place to work with. I'm just like ready for this next thing. And they were just sitting there thinking like, oh my gosh, I have no employees. Like overnight, I don't know what to do. And what about this place? They're paying this much as a contractor. I know that this person doesn't understand What's going to be happening with tax time, but I can't compete with that. And we just kept saying, look, you have to know your value. You have to know your numbers and sit with it and really market this practice and know that the right people are going to come Mm -hmm. three people. Out of nowhere, in six weeks, they're all, I think there's two slots left, you know, last week, able to hire, attract the people at the right pay who wanted the work that they were doing, who understood the benefits of a W-2 employment opportunity that understood what they were going to be getting. But when they were looking out to the, all these other things, like it was so easy to convince yourself to shift something, even when the math doesn't make sense, even when you know that it's not workable. I think there are a lot of group practice owners that are out there who are making decisions based on comparison yep. without running the numbers. Yep. And I think a lot of things are going to happen right now as people are looking at their profitability just based on their taxes. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go, wait, I grew my stuff by 30%. My profits went down by 10%. What happened?" Mm-hmm. I doubled the amount of work that I did and I'm less profitable in 2021 than I was in 2020. And you could blame that on the economy, but it's not. It's that you made poor decisions and you didn't do your financial modeling and do the math. You made an emotionally based decision.
0: Yep. I want to end with what is a thing that you guys are each doing to help with burnout just Personally, because you guys are business owners and people are very famous in the world of therapy, and so people <laughs> love <to> us. <laughs> infamous, I don't like so. <laughs> yeah, infamous. Oh. What do you guys do that helps with burnout? I'll say you my thing first. is delegating. I think Ooh. really, I don't do much in my group practice anymore for various reasons because I have a few other businesses. My amount of time that I can commit to any. Of my businesses is just not as high. And so, yeah, my group practice is a very well-oiled leadership high. There's, I think we have eight or nine people in leadership who we all, from our anti-racism values, no one person makes a decision, including myself in the business alone. And it's a collaborative Mm decision-making. And it's also helped me be able to step back and not be the most important thing in the business. That's mine. I think for me,
1: it's really been reconnecting with who I know myself to be pre pandemic, getting back into weekly dinner nights at my house and getting outside every afternoon and getting out into the being there was so much about lockdowns and all of that, that kind of threw me into a lot of trauma state. And so really reconnecting at like, just a very base level of like, what are these non negotiable things that I need in my life? that bring me joy and connection. And when I take care of those things, then a lot of other things fall into place.
2: I got my Reiki master level training this past year. And so a lot of embodiment work. And Miranda and I even will meditate before we make decisions. We go on a lot of walks now, a lot more. We've been training for like trail runs and things like that. And Reiki's really helped me. I have good intuition. I have a good internal compass, and I lost sense of that over the past few years. So getting back into that has helped me immensely. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, I really appreciate having you two on the podcast. Oddly, way later than I should have ever had you on. And I apologize for that. But uh, it was so nice having you on and thank you for taking time out of your I know very busy schedule. I appreciate it. I know my audience will appreciate it. Where can people find you? If they don't know who you are, I can't imagine anyone listening is going to be like, "Who are
1: these two people? But <laughs> okay. <laughs> Check us out at zinnyme.com. Z-Y-N-N-Y-M as in Mary, E.com, worst name ever. And if you just click on free, we've got great live free training, some with CEs. We've got trainings on demand. We're going to be doing a training soon. That's all about group practice finances and how to run those numbers. What are the numbers you should know y'all that we see people getting really stuck with. So we got some support for you guys.
0: Well, thank you. And a good rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the group practice exchange podcast. Like what you heard? Give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening from. Need extra support? Join The Exchange, a membership community just for group practice owners with monthly office hours, live webinars, and a library of trainings ready for you to dive into. Visit www.members.thegrouppracticeexchange.com forward slash exchange. See you next week.